Uh, we're going to continue talking about Peter this morning, and not really so much talking about Peter, but so much in our talking about Peter, we're really talking about ourselves, and we're talking about um, the relationship that Peter had with Jesus and how uh, Jesus was making Peter into something new all throughout the years that they spent together. And, and we, we sort of looked at Jesus and Peter's introduction last week and, and one of the first miracles that Peter was a part of in Jesus' ministry. But today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14 and we're going to look at another, probably one of the most incredible personal experiences that Peter had with the miracle power of Jesus. And, and part of the reason that, that I want us to make sure that we, we cover this moment in Peter's life is because in this story that most of us are familiar with, we see both the incredible growth of Peter's faith, but then at the same time we also see Peter's struggle with his old nature, both together in this story. We see where, where Peter is, is struggling to become what Jesus is making him into, but at the same time we see him um, with, with a faith that's incredibly powerful. And so um, Matthew chapter 14 this morning, I want to give you a little context. We're going to begin in verse 22. And what happens previous to this in Matthew 14 is uh, the feeding of the 5,000, which um, Scripture tells us that, there were, they, that Jesus fed 5,000, meaning men, along with not including women and children. So it's very easy for historians to estimate that Jesus would have fed a crowd of at least 20,000 people that day. And the disciples were a part of this. He took five loaves of bread and two fish and multiplied it in abundance so that not only did the crowd have something to eat, they had everything that they wanted to eat, Scripture says, until they were bloated, stuffed, full of food, could not eat anymore, and there were 12 baskets full of food left over, which kind of is cool because Jesus had 12 disciples with him. So there was a basket of leftovers for each one of them that had been helping Jesus serve that day. But this was a huge miracle, a huge public miracle of Jesus. And you can imagine the response from a crowd of people that big when Jesus does something like take a sack lunch and feed 20 plus thousand people with it. This is a huge thing. And so there's a huge response, obviously, from the crowd. I think sometimes we read the miracles, and especially the miracles that we, that we read about often, that we've heard the story over and over, we just kind of read over them and go, oh, Jesus fed 20,000 people with a sack lunch. And think it's no big deal. But it's a huge deal. Like, that doesn't happen. And, and we're going to do the same thing with this story of Jesus and Peter. But there's a huge response. Just imagine how the crowd would have responded. How would we have responded if somebody took a Happy Meal and fed 20,000 people with it? I mean, we would, wanna, we would be completely amazed... The, the promise of Messiah, they, begin to, they began to, to put their hope in what they saw in Jesus. And they thought, this is the guy. So this crowd of multiple thousands of people respond 
to, to Jesus positively. All right, so look in verse 22. Look at Jesus' response to what has happened and the response of the crowd. Verse 22 in Matthew 14 says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Now most evangelists in this day, if they grew a crowd of 20 plus thousand people and God did a miracle like that, they would have been soaking it up, right? Like we would be soaking it up and passing the plate, like getting donations, like they would have taken advantage of it. It says immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go. He had them leave, and it says that he had them get out immediately. He wanted to get out. He wanted to get away from that situation quickly. And also the disciples, he, it says he had to make them get into the boat. You know what that likely means is that there was an argument. There was, there was a, a little bit of a fuss that went on when Jesus said, okay, right now I want you guys to go get in the boat and start making your way over across the water to Capernaum. And they're going, Jesus, hold, hold, hold on a second. You, you realize what just happened here? Like, this is huge. This is great. All of these people have just seen who you are, Jesus. Like, this is, this is the moment. Like, if you're coming to be the king, you're, come, you're, you're the Messiah like we, we think you are. This is, like, this is, your, this is your perfect moment. You've got a crowd. You've got them fired up, excited about who you are. They're believing what they've seen. Like, this is the moment, Jesus. Are you, are you telling us we're walking away from this? And Jesus says, yes. Absolutely. He, and, he, and he does it quickly. Um, John chapter 6 is a parallel account of the same story. And if we flip over there, look at what it says in verses 14 and 15. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is the same account. So again, Jesus sees the response of the people. And he says, and he knows that this is not the will of the Father. This is not the time, nor the place, nor the way that I'm going to be bringing the kingdom. And so he knows the disciples are excited. He knows that they could be drawn into this very quickly and get sucked into this, this incredible experience. And so he gets them out of there as quick as he can. He says, you guys get on the boat and go. And then he dismisses the crowd himself. And then Jesus even leaves, right? He dismisses the crowd and he leaves. I wonder sometimes if Jesus may have had flashbacks in that moment of Satan's temptation in the wilderness. 
What was one of the things that Satan tempted Jesus with? Yeah, fame. He says, if you're, if you're the Messiah, bow down to me, I'll give you all this. Throw yourself down from the temple. Do a miracle so that everybody will see it and everybody will believe in you. Maybe the humanity of Jesus in this moment, maybe he felt his humanity getting sucked into that moment as well because think about how you would react in that. Think about how your humanity, we get excited when a hundred people like our post on Facebook. How would you respond to a crowd like that? So maybe Jesus' humanity is feeling is feeling pulled. And so, so his divine nature, knowing that he's there to accomplish the will of the Father, says, I've got to leave. And where does he go? He goes off by himself to do what? To pray. To be alone with the Father. To, to refocus on what it is that God has sent him to do. But they had to have argued with Jesus. But they ultimately did what he told them to do which was get in the boat and go, into, go across the water. And when they did what Jesus told them to do, where did they end up? In the middle of a big fat storm. All right, so here's a point for us to remember this morning. The center of God's will can be found in the center of the storm. You think Jesus knew there was a storm coming? Yep. He didn't need James Spann to tell him what the weather was going to be. He, he knew. He knew what was coming, and it was his intention to get them separated from what was this um, high mountaintop feeling good experience and get them in the boat on the water by themselves in the middle of of something very scary. Sometimes the storm that we find ourselves in, don't, don't get me wrong now, some, when we say that, sometimes the storm that we find ourselves in is because we've made it. Okay? Let's just be honest. Sometimes we find ourselves in the middle of the storm and we cry out and we go, oh, Lord, why are we here? Why is all this happening? And I think God just kind of wants to look at us and go, well, you made this storm for yourself don't we? we? We create a lot of the own storms, our own storms in our life. But sometimes we don't. Sometimes we find ourselves in the middle of something that we didn't create, we didn't ask for, and it's just come into our life. And, and what is the first thing that we think, God, why is this happening? Why would you leave me here? And maybe, maybe in the back of our minds we think, what have I done wrong? What have I messed up? What am I not doing right? It's not always that we find ourselves in the middle of a storm that that means that we're out of God's will. I think that's what we think most of the time. When we, when we deal with bad circumstances and difficult things, we think, oh, wow, I've messed up. I'm somehow out of God's will. If I was only in the will of God, then things would be going great. That's not always true. Sometimes God's will for me is to put me right in the middle of a hurricane. And he had a purpose for, for them in putting them there. 
So they, they go out into the boat and Jesus goes off. He prays. He leaves them alone. And by the time he's finished, it's night and they're out, way out. They're, they're probably driven way off course by now. And they're out in the middle of that water fighting one of the biggest storms that any, many of them had ever seen. Sometimes God leads us into a storm on the outside because he wants to accomplish something in us on the inside. So Matthew 14, look at verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. You remember last week at, at the huge catch of, catch of fish that came on? What Peter's response was, he, he fell before Jesus and he said, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, don't be afraid, right? He, he says the same thing to them, but this time he's not with them. He's, he's, he's with them, but he's not in the boat with them. He's out on the water. It says this was during the fourth watch. So time-wise, this would have been somewhere between 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock in the morning. That means that they got in the water before it got dark the evening before. They've been out on that water by themselves for at least nine hours. And most of the time, those hours have been spent trying to battle this storm, trying to keep their boat afloat, trying to keep everybody on the boat. They are exhausted. Like there's fishermen on the boat, Peter and some of those other guys. They've got some experience being out in the water. But they're trapped out there and they, are, they have been fighting for hours to try to hold everything together and they are exhausted. They are tired. They're wondering why isn't he here? You ever wonder that? In the middle of your circumstance, where is he? Why hasn't he shown up? Why did he put me in this boat by myself? <laughs> but he was there. But he waits all of that time to appear to them. I think maybe he waited all that time because he wanted them to be exhausted. I think he, maybe what he wanted was for them to try all of that time to keep control. I think maybe what he wanted was for them to exhaust every ounce of muscle and energy and resource that they had until they were completely exhausted. So he waits, it's not that he wasn't with them or he wasn't taking care of them, but he waited to, to show himself. You realize that Jesus could have taken care of them on the mountain. Jesus didn't have to, Jesus didn't have to be with them to keep them safe on the water. Jesus didn't even have to be with them to calm the storm if he wanted to. He could have calmed it from the mountain. He could have done all that. He was sovereign. He had total control. 
So even in the midst of this chaos where they thought that everything was out of control and even in, the, in what they thought was the absence of Jesus, Jesus was in complete control of everything that was happening. But he does it from a distance. And, and what's interesting is if you look at the story in Mark, in Mark chapter 6, it says that when he appeared to them, he appeared to be passing by. He didn't even just show up like right in front of the boat and say, hey guys, here I am. Like he was off at a distance and they begin to see somebody and they're like, hold on, that looks like somebody's walking around out there. Now, for any moment, would you conceive that that would even be a person? Like, I know we've read the story over and over, but put yourself there. You're thinking that you're either going crazy, right? Like something mentally on that boat is messing with your head and you're going nuts. Or there's a, there's a ghost. There's something that, like that's not, that can't be a person. You know why? Because people don't walk on water, y'all. You ever tried it? I bet you have. Don't lie. It, or at least when you were a kid and you heard this story, there was one day that you were out at the swimming pool and you did this. Didn't you? Yeah, come on. I'm not the only one. You were like, mm. it, it doesn't happen. People don't walk on water. So it was completely logical for them. We kind of look at them and say, oh, how, how, why did they not believe it was Jesus? Would you have? They had not seen this before. They had not experienced it. They, they didn't know what was coming. And that's what they thought. They thought, and, and it terrorized them. But Jesus' voice to them was the promise of protection. And he said, take heart. Meaning, don't, don't despair, don't lose heart. It's me. Do not be afraid. Here's another point for this morning. Jesus stills the storm in them before he stills the storm around them. Jesus could have just shown up and snapped his fingers and the storm go away. But you realize that in the midst of the storm, he's, he's yelling to them saying, Don't be afraid. It's me. Don't be scared. But the storm's not changing. It may have even gotten more fierce. And they're having to listen really, really hard to see if they can hear and make out exactly what it is that he's saying to them. I think sometimes when we find ourselves in situations like this, he uses his voice in us to calm us to know that he's protecting us through whatever it is that we're going through. It's the voice inside of us that we hear that says, I'm, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. It's, it's me. And they had to have been immediately relieved when they heard his voice. They would have recognized his voice. They've spent a lot of time with him already. They would have known exactly who he was. It's kind of like when you're a kid and maybe you found yourself lost in the grocery store, lost in the department store in the mall, and you're trying to find 
your parents or trying to find somebody that you know and then all of a sudden you can't see them but you hear your mom's voice calling out your name? You remember how that feels if you've ever been in that situation? Or maybe you're looking for your child and you hear, and you hear them say, Mommy, there might be a hundred other kids around saying mommy or daddy but but when you hear your kid's voice you know it and they knew his voice and they recognized it instant relief so now at least maybe they're they're thinking okay he's here now maybe we'll be okay but then peter does something again peter is the bold one of the group peter is the brash one And Peter does something that none of the others ever expected. None of the others ever even thought about doing. Peter does. Look at what Peter does here in verse 28. All of this, we have to set the context and the story and the circumstance for us to really get into the heart of Peter. Look at verse 28. And Peter answered him. He spoke back to Jesus on the water. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus, how? Immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now again, I think we have become too familiar with this story that we just read over this and go, oh, that's pretty cool. Peter walked on water. Y'all, Peter walked on water. People don't walk on water. <laughs> now, it's, it's one thing for Jesus to do it. Like, like when we read this, we sort of kind of expect Jesus to do it. They didn't at this point because they still didn't have a full understanding of exactly who Jesus was. But we do, and so we read it and we go, oh, Jesus walked on the water. Jesus can do that. He made the water. He made the wind. He made the sea. He made the storm. He made everything. He made the boat they were in. Like everything is made by him and for him. We know that like that's not a stretch. But Peter, Peter's not supposed to walk on the water ever. You know why? Because Peter's just like us. There's nothing really that's different about Peter compared to us. And so we see Peter walking on the water. And he's not walking on still water. Not like you when you when or me when I was a kid, maybe I was the only one that did that. Like tried to thought, ooh, maybe I can walk on the water when the water's still, like in a swimming pool or in a lake or something like that. You do you, you don't forget what kind of storm we're in. 
Can you imagine what those other guys were thinking when Peter's leg goes over the side of that thing for the first? Whoa, 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 what are you doing? Like he just lifts that foot over, over the side that first time. And maybe some of them are like, Peter, don't do that. That's crazy. Maybe some of them are so fed up with him. like, go ahead, Peter. <laughs> Knock yourself out. Try that out. See how that works. You big dummy. But he steps over the side and he steps into a, a raging storm out of the boat like they've been struggling to stay afloat in the boat for at least nine hours and now peter decides to step out of the boat and the storm hasn't changed at all extreme wind blowing like can like you imagine okay he gets out and he's and he's on top of the water his clothes are going everywhere his hair is blowing everywhere like like He's, he's maybe having to struggle just to stand up. Like you've been in an extreme storm. You've seen like the weather channel when those guys are standing on concrete in the middle of a hurricane. Like it's hard for them to even stand up on solid ground. And there are waves crashing against him. You, you go to Florida when you go on vacation, you decide you want to walk out in the big waves and the big waves are coming. And you're just walking out going, please don't let me fall on my tail in front of everybody out here on this beach. Because you're, every, time you hit a, every time you hit a wave, you're like doing this, right? Mm. Like, or backing into it. Mm. And then you keep walking. Like, think about the amount of effort it takes you to walk through a wave when you've got sand under your feet. Peter is doing something completely supernatural how how is he doing it something extraordinary is happening in Peter and with Peter when Peter sees Jesus he is so overwhelmed with joy he is so overwhelmed with relief and a desire to be with Jesus that that's, that's, that's his goal. The rest of them are totally satisfied to stay in the boat. They see Jesus at a distance. They see that he's there. They know, okay, he's going to take care of us. I'm just going to stay right here. But Peter's not satisfied with that. Peter's not satisfied to stay in the boat when I'm here and Jesus is there, that's too far. I don't want to be that far away from Jesus. I want to get to where you are, Jesus. And so look, look at what he does. I, I, I think that this is characteristic of Peter. If you read through all the Gospels, you can see this thing with Peter. It's almost like we could picture Peter was probably the guy who walked behind Jesus so close that every time Jesus stopped, Peter would just run into him. Like, Peter, come on. Like, I, th I think that's the character. He, I told you last week, Peter and Jesus had this incredible relationship, this closeness. And Peter was so drawn to Jesus that, that he was like, I, I don't want to be in this boat and you're out there. But, but 
He's not presumptuous. And he's not putting faith in his own ability to get to Jesus. He knows he can't get to Jesus by himself. But he cries out to Jesus and he asks him. You notice that? He says, if it is you, which when he's saying if, that language translated, it's really better said, since it's you, is what he's saying. Since it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Peter knows from the very start he can't even get close to Jesus unless Jesus makes a way for him to get there. He knows he can't do it by himself. This is not arrogant Peter who thinks, oh, I'll just walk on the water and get to Jesus. Forget all y'all. This is not what's happening. He, Peter, is overwhelmed with a desire to be with Jesus. Not just for Jesus' protection, but just because he's so relieved and happy to see him. He's like, I want to I come to you. Command me to come to you. The same way you, you commanded all of that food to feed that many people. The same way you've commanded every, every miracle that I've seen you do. The, the way you commanded all those fish into my boat that day. Command me to walk out on the water to you. Because Peter knows I won't ever be able to do it unless you speak it. Unless you make it happen. This isn't about Peter trying to do something miraculous in front of everybody. This is Peter wanting to get to Jesus and he's asking Jesus to make a path for him to get to where he is. Here's the thing maybe that some people might misunderstand about what Peter is asking here. Peter is not asking for a miracle. Peter is asking for Jesus. Okay, and there's a difference. There's a big difference. <laughs> Peter is not asking Jesus to do a magic trick. He's not, he, he's not trying to um, establish his dominance over the other disciples. He's not trying to puff himself up. He's not trying to establish himself as the leader. He's not trying to, to build up his own confidence in, in thinking that he can do something impossible. He doesn't care how Jesus does it. He just wants to be, he just wants to come to Jesus. It's not the miracle he's asking for, it's Jesus that he's asking for. You see that? And so Jesus' answer to him is what? Come on, Peter. You want to be with me? I'll make a way for you to do it. Come on. So he's telling Peter, if you trust me, I can give you what you asked for, but you're going to have to step out of the boat and come. This is how we know that Peter's heart is pure. If Peter was asking Jesus to make a way for him to come, because of any of those other reasons, because of his pride or his arrogance or, or because he wanted to see a trick like the, like the crowds wanted to see, like the Pharisees wanted to see. If his heart was impure like that, Jesus wouldn't have told him to get out and come. But Jesus knew Peter's heart. He knew that Peter's greatest desire was just to be with him. And Jesus says, come, come Peter. 
And let me tell you, that's Jesus' answer to everybody who wants to be with him. When you see Jesus for who he is, and you see his power, and you see his grace and his compassion and his love, and your heart cries out to him and says, Jesus, I want to be where you are, his open invitation is come. Come to me. Jesus, I don't have a way to get to you. If you want to be with me, I'll make the way. I've already made the way. You just get out of your boat and come to me. So Peter steps over the edge and his feet land on something firm. Can you imagine how that would have felt? In the middle of this, the boat is shifting and rocking and he steps out and he's trusting Jesus so much. That doesn't happen on water. That happens on hardwood. That happens on sand. That happens on dirt. Peter steps out onto water and it's like he's hitting rock. Like he's walking on cement. It's carrying his whole weight, keeping him above the water. But then what happened? He, it says he got scared. Why did he get scared? Because he got out in the middle of the water on his way to Jesus, and he started seeing, realizing how incredible what was happening was, and he's overwhelmed by the, by the wind and the waves and the storm, and it says he got, he got scared. He got afraid. And when he, when he got scared, he started to sink. And this is where sometimes we want to read and go, oh, Peter. Like we want to, we want to criticize Peter here. You and I are probably still sitting in the boat watching. So he's, he's walking. He's, he's planting his feet on so, what is solid ground in the midst of water. And he's, and he's watching Jesus. But then maybe one of those waves come out the side and kind of knocks him. And he turns around and looks and he sees what's, what's coming. And he sees the wind. And maybe he turns back around and looks at the boat. And he sees the boat going crazy. And he sees all the rest of the guys just with their mouths hanging open just watching what is happening. And he, and he gets afraid of the circumstances. And it says he started to sink. But then when he started to sink, what did he do? Who did he cry out to? Do you think he tried to start fixing himself when he started sinking? Do you think he started trying to, try to pick his feet back up? And No, it's, he immediately, when he started to sink, he yelled for Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus is the one that got him that far to begin with. <laughs> and he knew that was, the, that was the only way he was going to get to Jesus was because of Jesus. So he cries out to him. I, I, I'm thinking of this. It's like, it's like Peter's faith begins. His, his faith in Jesus begins to believe that Jesus can, can make a way for him. And he starts... And he starts to walk, and then it's like he begins to wonder, am I going to make it? You know, am I, he's, 
like he's still over there. I've still got a ways to go. I don't know if I'm going to be able to, to make it. He starts trusting in himself more than he's trusting Jesus, which is the one who set him out on the water to begin with. Um, and immediately when he cries out to Jesus, what does Jesus do? He's, he's there. And I don't know if it, it seems as if he begins to sink and whatever distance there was between him and Jesus, as soon as he cried out to Jesus, when he started to sink, there was no distance anymore because Jesus reached down and immediately picked him up. At Peter's cry, Jesus took away the distance. And he was there to pick him up. I, I, I keep thinking of Hebrews chapter 12. And I don't know that I don't know that I've ever heard anybody connect this to this, but 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 I'm gonna try. Hebrews twelve, verses one and two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we're talking about us now. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's almost as if in the, begin, that the beginning of my journey of faith was, be, was, was putting, my, putting my feet out of the boat for the first time. I remember putting my feet outside the boat for the first time and my feet landing on solid ground. And then begin to walk, Right? like the path, the race, the journey. But, but the writer of Hebrews says, let us lay aside every weight and sin that tangles us up. Peter got weighted down by the circumstances because he started to sink. But look at verse 2. As we're on the race as we're trying to take away the weights that are trying to, trying to sink us down. Verse 2, looking to Jesus. Right? That's what Jesus told Peter. It was like, keep your eyes on me, Peter. You come. That's what the writer of Hebrews tells us. That's how we win the race, is that we keep our eyes on Jesus. And, but, but who is Jesus? The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Like, how do we get to Jesus? How do we, how do we end up where Jesus is? We, we look to Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says. We keep our eyes fixed on him, who is the founder or the author, your Bible may say, of faith, Jesus, I mean, Peter put that first foot out of the boat because of Jesus. Jesus was the beginning of Peter's faith, right? Jesus enabled Peter to be able to step out those first steps. The author of our faith, the beginning of the faith in us is, is Jesus. He's the, he's the founder of our faith. He's the, the start of our faith. But not only is he the start, but he's the perfecter of it. That means he's not just the start of our faith, but he's the end. He's the finisher of our faith. 
So what Peter, the things that, that scared Peter that made him wonder if he was going to finish, if he was going to get to Jesus, it was never in question for Jesus. Because the same Jesus that got him out on that first step was the same Jesus that was going to make sure Peter got to him. You see, you see what I'm saying? He's the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus was the object of Peter's faith to get out of the boat. And Jesus was the finisher of Peter's faith that held him up through his doubt. From the, from the first step Peter took, it was like he, he was already going to be with Jesus. Because he took the first step, all of the other ones, Jesus was going to make sure happened. He was going to make sure Peter got to him. So for us as believers, the more we gaze at Jesus, the more we realize that it doesn't matter what storm we're going through in our walk to Jesus. It doesn't matter what circumstances we face. From the very beginning, he's been holding us up. Whatever was under our foot, that first step of faith, is, is Jesus. And what's going to be under our feet the next step and the next step and every one of those times that the waves are crashing in on us and things are going nuts and we don't know if we're going to make it, it's the same thing that was there at the very beginning. It's always Jesus. Here's something I want you to understand about this story. Peter is not the center of this story. The storm is not the center of the story. Peter walking on water isn't the center of the story. Jesus is the center of the story. This story is about Jesus. It's not really about Peter. And I believe even in this moment in Peter's life, Jesus is demonstrating to Jesus and the rest of the disciples exactly what he's going to do and accomplish on the cross. I think this story is a picture of the gospel. Verses 32 and 33, look what happened. Jesus pulls Peter up out of the water and he says, Oh, Peter, why did you, why did you doubt? It's a rebuke, it's a question to Peter, but, as if, but it's as if Jesus is saying, You believed me for that first step. You can believe me for every step. <laughs> why, did you, why did you think that what I did in putting that solid ground underneath your feet in the midst of this water, why did you think that I was going to waver? You were worried about whether you were going to waver. It's not about you, Peter. It's about me. What you were walking on was me. That solid ground underneath your feet in the middle of that water, that was me. And I'm not changing. But verse 32 said, And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. <laughs> Jesus waits until he's actually in the boat with them to make the storm go away. In verse 33, and those in the boat worshipped him saying, truly you are the son of God. This is one of the first times that we see all of the disciples together unified expressing faith in the deity of Jesus. And for good reason. What an incredible experience that was. 
But I think this story is a picture of the gospel. Think about it. We are lost sinners in our own boats, being tossed, beaten by the world, doing our best to hold everything together, doing our best to try to make it and survive in our own strength. And we see Jesus. And he's walking above all of it. He's walking on top of everything that, that is coming against us. And we see him and we cry out to him and we ask him, Jesus, let me come to you. Make a way for me to come to you, Jesus, because I can't come to you on my own. And Jesus' reply to me was, come. I'm making a path from where you are to where I am that you can come. I've already made the path. The cross was that path. And we step out toward him, not because of our faith in us, not because we, we think we can, we can get to him on our own, but because we trust him. And so because he's completed the work of redemption, even though we fall on our way to him, he holds us up. He doesn't say, okay, I'm going to give you the first couple of steps and then you're on your own the rest of the way. He doesn't do that. Every step from the time we put our faith and trust in Jesus until the time we end up with him in eternity, every step, he never leaves us alone. He never takes his grace and his love out from underneath our feet with every step that we walk. We may lose sight and, th and fool ourselves to thinking that it's us walking, and it's not. We are on the water. There's no way you can walk to Jesus on your own. You don't have the power to. There's no path. There's nothing solid enough for you to be able to stand on except Jesus. He's making the way. You can't walk on water. I can't walk on water. Nobody can walk on water. Jesus is the only one that can walk on water. But when we look at the story deeper, the truth is Peter wasn't really walking on water. Peter was walking on grace. That's what Jesus puts underneath our feet. That's the path, the grace and forgiveness of Jesus is what makes the way for us to come to him. So whether, whether Peter was on the water or whether Peter was beginning to sink in the water, he was held up by the grace and the love of Jesus. So I want you to know every attempt that you make to try to walk to Jesus on water, you'll never do it. You'll never walk on the water. But you can ask Jesus for his grace and his forgiveness, like Peter did. Make, command me to come to you. Jesus, make a way for me to come to you. And Jesus said, I've already made the way for you. Just come.